winning in Asia is never simple or easy. It takes determination and agility. Find out how some companies get tripped up, while others make incredible profits. This is Winning in Asia. Hello, and welcome back to the Winning in Asia podcast. I am Michael Dunn. Earlier this month, I traveled to Sparks, Nevada. That's 20 miles northeast of Reno for my first ever look at Giga Nevada, Tesla's massive, and I mean massive, battery factory. It feels like you're on Mars. There's this high desert, 100 degree temperatures, dry as a bone, nothing around for miles. And then you encounter this out of the world giant facility manufacturing battery cells. My mind went to Las Vegas and the people who first envisioned building something totally new and different in the middle of nowhere. Well, that's what the Gigafactory looked like to me. When Tesla and Panasonic built it, it was the first of its kind in the world. And people, frankly, thought that Elon and co. were out of their minds to do so. But since 2016, China has gone on uh, replicating tear, building 100 gigafactories of their own. They're led by powerhouse battery makers, CATL, BYD, and others. China today is the world dominator in batteries, accounting for 75% of global capacity. Yes, now Europe and the U.S. are racing to catch up. Our special guest today, Simon Moores, Managing Director at Benchmark Minerals, gives us a front row view of the global race for supremacy in batteries. Hey, Simon also reveals how Tupac Shakur, yes, Tupac, has been a special source of inspiration to him. It's Simon Moore, Mega Battery Factories, and Tupac on the Winning in Asia podcast. All right, Simon, good morning and welcome to the Winning in Asia podcast. Michael, thanks for having us. I'm looking forward to this conversation. All right. You are the first British national I've ever met to give testimony to the U.S. Senate. Not once, not twice, but three times already. So my question is, what did they want to know from you? And what was it like <laughs> stepping into that chamber? Uh, what do they want to know? Um, good question. I, I'm not quite sure. There was lots of a variety of questions on the supply chain for, for lithium-ion batteries for electric vehicles. But I think when my first um, testimony was given back in 2017, it was all about the raw materials. Hmm. And really, that was it was um, the Energy and Natural Resources Committee that was led by Senator Mikowski from Alaska. So there was a natural interest in mining in the USA, which was kind of how it started. But then the testimonies in 2019 and 2020 had evolved into a supply chain question it wasn't about necessarily just mining it was about actually making these components these batteries which is the core component for electric vehicles making them in the usa then of course you ask the question well where do your raw materials come from so that's kind of how the three kind of the conversation evolved in washington dc over over really only a three and a half year period that was interesting. And I can't remember your second point of your question because I just, yes. just rambled. You're stepping into the chamber. You're a British national. You're going to the United States to Washington, D.C. and the U.S. Senate. Was there a special protocol or you just step in and start talking? What were your impressions of the overall knowledge and awareness of the lawmakers you're talking to? Well, it's quite a busy um, environment, really, because mm -hmm. you're a hearing, but no one really explained to me, well, no one explained at all the process, especially <laughs> in 2017. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you what actually happened. The, I, I did it better on, in 2019 is the best opening speech that I, I did of the three. That's when I said we're in the midst of this global battery arms race. 
in which the US is a bystander. So that I, I got learned, their attention, I, I bet. Yeah, yes. I was invited back and I got their attention. I was invited back again. So I think it was heard loud and clear. But, but the first time in 2017 that I went there, nobody told me that any of the process, except I just knew I had to wear a suit. I had to be ready for some questions. It's fine. But I got there. I sat down in this it's a big room, which is all mahogany. And then the senators are literally a good, you know, three steps, four steps higher than you, looking down at you. It's designed in a way to make the person that's being questioned feel smaller and the senators feel, feel bigger. I wasn't kind of ready for that. It didn't really bother me, especially being a British national. It doesn't, you know, particularly um, bother me either way. I'm just there to answer the questions. But no one said, oh, by the way, uh, you've got a five-minute opening statement. And everyone to the left and right of me had these beautifully written speeches and that had been prepared by their PAs and, and these documents. And, and there was a formality to it. Thank God I went third and not first because I quickly scribbled down an opening speech. I looked back and I was absolutely fine. I, I nailed enough points that were made it relevant and I got the formalities right. So um, in 2017, the first speech was definitely a learning experience for me. Uh, but I would say Google the 2019 speech. That's the one that, that hit hardest, I think. 2019. Okay, we'll Google that for sure. Now you started Benchmark Minerals way back, I say way back in 2014, before electric vehicles were really a thing. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how you knew <laughs> to start your company that time, but I am interested with any startup to learn, like, who were your first customers? And when did you really sense that you're onto something? So I set, yeah, set Benchmark up in 2014 to collect price data, starting with the raw materials that go into lithium-ion batteries, L collecting the lithium industry's reference price that's used to, in contracts and negotiate these supply chain contracts. That was our priority. And then we moved on to nickel, cobalt, graphite, manganese. But very quickly also, we started building out data products in, in lithium-ion battery cells, in the cathodes and anodes. And then once you have the supply chain picture from the mine to the battery cell, the, this information that you have and the stories you pick up on the way and the contacts you meet becomes very powerful. And that was kind of how we started it. When I came up with the idea for Benchmark, I'd been in the lithium industry and in this in the battery supply chain industry for eight years prior to that from an information perspective. So I had a you know, good idea of, well, battery demand is heading in one direction that's up. I just didn't, you can't really expect us to go from one mega factory or two battery mega factories or gigafactories to um, 212 or 213 at the moment uh, in the pipeline. I, I kind of, the last three years have been a bit of a, a crazy ride in that sense. You can't predict that type of growth, but you certainly can predict that batteries or lithium-ion batteries are good. They're here to stay. They're going to be used in, in increasing applications. And I was comfortable with that premise. So we kind of just grew from there. All right. So you talked about, written about a race for supremacy in EVs, really across two dimensions. One is capacity and the other is quality. Can you paint a picture for us of where the giants stand today? Giants being China, Europe, and the US. Yeah. So we are in the midst of this global battery arms race. I'm going to repeat what I said in 2019. The US is no longer a bystander though. This is good news for, for people in the US uh, that, that are in this industry and, and, and certainly or looking to get in the, the EV supply chain. But quite simply, the, this global battery arms race started in 2014. It started actually with primarily with Tesla in the Gigafactory in Nevada. You know, as soon as Elon Musk says, we're gonna, well, we need to build the total amount of lithium ion batteries 
um, made in the world under one roof, it will require an extra lithium mine to fuel the plant. Laughter was the first reaction from the industry, then doubt. And then three years later, they built it and batteries were coming out of it. And that's what kind of kick-started. Then you start seeing them being built in China. You know, the Koreans were building big plants in China. Then LG Chem, SK Innovation, Samsung SDI started to then put plants, even Panasonic from Japan, build within China in, in joint ventures. Then the U.S. stopped really investing after it was only Tesla that was investing. So what happened is the U.S. kick-started it. China went through the roof in terms of lithium-ion battery investments. Around 2018, 17, 18, Europe started to do the same, the European Union. And only now, this year, is the U.S. playing catch-up on building this massive lithium-ion battery capacity. For some numbers, this year, China will have 75% of lithium-ion battery capacity. By 2030, you're looking at about 69%. So they're maintaining their portion of the pie to a certain extent, but more batteries are on their way and certainly in the US. Okay, so China's way out front, you mentioned 75% going to 69% by 2030. So still pretty strong, a dominant position. One of the things I've heard you talk about is distinguishing between capacity and quality. And you identify, I think, six or seven world-class battery suppliers, those that are going to be in a position to supply OEMs globally. Who are they? And what makes them different from the rest? Yeah, it's a really good point. The battery industry is a speciality industry. It's a speciality product. It's not a commodity. So the reason I say it's not a commodity is when people think of commodities, they think of like coal and iron ore and, and orange juice and, and maybe pork belly, if you remember that movie, uh, Trading Places from the, from the 80s. I love, I love that movie. Eddie Murphy. That's your classic commodity. Yeah, it's your classic commodities. Uh, lithium-ion batteries, not, they're not, not all of them are equal. There are tiers of quality. And we, we create a tiering system at Benchmark. So the tier one battery makers at present, what I mean by tier one is they need quality and quantity and they have to be qualified. It's the three Qs, quality, quantity, and being qualified by Western automotive companies to use these batteries safely in a Western OEM. Uh, there are seven of these companies. So LG, there's Koreans, LG Chem, SK Innovation, Samsung SDI. There's the Japanese, which is Panasonic and Envision AESC. There's CATL, which is Chinese uh, major, and BYD as well. So there are seven. Luckily, the U.S. actually has four of these seven already active within the USA. It just doesn't have scale yet. So you kind of need quality, the people that know how to make these batteries at a safe, consistent level, and you need the quantity. These two things usually don't go hand in hand, so it'll be interesting to watch how that unfolds. Okay, so today, if we're looking at the Earth from outer space, it looks like Northeast Asia is way ahead in terms of both capacity and quality. The companies you just mentioned are all Japanese, Korean, or Chinese. Where are the American companies? Where are the Europeans? Yeah, it became a, an Asia-Pacific industry in the mm -hmm. 90s, really, when lithium-ion battery was commercialized by Sony for the Walkman in 1992. Uh, really, everything was then built around mobile technology. So whoever was making the mobile technology devices back then obviously needed the, the secondary lithium-ion rechargeable batteries to power them. And that was the principle behind it. So it was all Asia Pacific until electric vehicles came along. And that's why the, the EU and, and the US is playing catch up because there is now a domestic need for these batteries in much bigger devices. And that's another, another way to envisage the growth of this battery industry is we go from batteries the size of your mobile phone to the size of your car. Tesla is like the chassis of the car. The bottom of it is all a series of lithium-ion batteries. So there's that sort of demand underpinning it, as well as more devices being mobile. You think about all the devices that 
in your house that you've got that you plug in and charge now, um, compare that to 10 years ago, you've probably got 10 times more the amount of devices than you had 10 years ago being recharged. So you've got that underpinning demand as well. We, we call this lithium-ion battery a platform technology. You know, once you have a quality battery, you almost have endless amounts of applications, mobile applications that you can use it in. And you know, that's a big part of this energy storage revolution. And those, those batteries, of course, are the end product of a series of efforts along the supply chain, starting from mining of certain materials through chemistry, through manufacturing batteries, and then into the vehicles. Can you walk us through big picture a little bit? Like, what is that process? Yeah. So the battery cell, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, the individual batteries, as you would see, you know, you can envisage it like the ones that go in your remote control, very similar just slightly bigger. That's at the heart of this supply chain. But the steps before it, you have to then, you make cathodes and anodes. So they're your cathode and anode and separator are what's rolled together to make the battery. Then a step before that, a cathode is made, of, made up of three or four chemicals, lithium, cobalt, nickel, manganese, maybe some aluminium in there, or oxides. All of so those go into a battery. Those go into a cathode, okay. which go into a battery. Mm -hmm. And on the anode side, you've got graphite and some silicon that go into the anode, that then go into the battery. So a battery, a lithium-ion battery is probably, you've got to be a master of six or seven different supply chains from the mine to the battery cell to actually become dominant in this space. So you can see once, once you go upstream of the lithium-ion battery, it starts becoming a little bit more complicated and, and the companies like Tesla and, uh, and VW are actually still working out how to gain dominance in the supply chain on this because of that complexity. Who's doing it best? Is Tesla ahead of the rest or it's still early days? It's early days but, and it's constantly evolving, but Tesla created the blueprint for this. They continue to do things that other companies wouldn't do. And the most impressive thing they've done at present is what they're doing in Austin at the Terra Factory site. They're not just saying they're going to make their own cathode. They're, this, way, this will be a small cathode plant, but they're learning the process. They're also saying they're going to make their own lithium hydroxide, one major input material, and their own nickel chemical as well, the other major input material. So they're learning how to make chemicals. And that's a big step change from Tesla being an engineering focused company. They see the need for that over the next 15, 20 years. And, and so that's, that's very interesting for me. And to contrast that a little bit, just in the past year, likes of Ford, Volkswagen and GM made big news simply by forming joint ventures to manufacture cells here in the United States, which is way downstream and you're talking about tesla saying we've done that we did that in 2015 now we're going into the chemistry exactly tesla signed the gigafactory agreement with panasonic in 2014 you know it spent two and a half years building gigafactory you know fast forward five years on they're doing the same for the supply chain so it's very much own the assets in the supply chain and own the midstream you don't necessarily have to be a mining company mm -hmm. but if you own the midstream of the supply chain you will have greater chance of dominance in this industry. I'll give you an example with China. China has led the blueprint on this. China and Chinese companies have led the blueprint in this industry. Some are state-backed, some are independent companies. But the key thing, China only mines 23% of the basket of battery raw materials domestically. There might be a, a you know, in people's heads that China is massive, so it does all the mining domestically. It's yes, that's the impression battery. for sure. Yeah. It's not true for, for battery raw materials, only 23%, hmm. of course, they get them from elsewhere around the world, but 80% of the, 
of chemicals are refined in China. So it's very clear what the strategy is. If we don't have the raw materials, at least build massive refining capacity. So the flow of raw materials ends up going towards China. Uh, the US has to do the same thing. And that's that's under discussion, but only Tesla are really thinking about it at the moment. All right, Simon, one of the things I liked about your take on this, the future of EV ramping globally is you time and time again, come back to the timing issue. And by that, I mean the mining, the chemicals and the manufacturing have to be aligned. So for example, if the manufacturing is ready, but the mining isn't there yet, guess what? We don't get out of the starting blocks, right? Well, why? Because we don't know the future. T talk a little bit about the raw materials are there. The demand seems to be there, but the investment in the mining needs to catch up. What's going on there? So I view it in two ways. One is the, the building of this infrastructure and the other is the ramping of the built infrastructure, the ramping up to the commercialization or the um, getting supply into the market. So on the building of the infrastructure, it takes five to seven years to build a lithium mine. It takes 24 months to build a battery plant. That fundamentally is your problem. Hmm. The raw materials need to be way ahead of time in terms of investment and what's needed than any of the midstream, any of the cathode plants or the battery plants. You know, if you're building an EV from scratch, it might take you probably five to seven years as well to build that platform. But once a platform's built, you can actually quite quickly change the models and um, it's software then that controls the, the, is the bigger factor after that point. But for me, five to seven years to build a lithium mine, 24 months to build a battery plant. That's just building the infrastructure. That's challenge one that is blowing people's minds in the moment. That's why investment into raw materials is so slow. There will be, well, lithium prices are going up as a result, right? The second part, is once you have a gigafactory, for example. So the Tesla gigafactory took about two and a half years to build, but to get it to capacity and you know weed out all the problems, all the wastage problems, to get those that 37 gigawatt hours of batteries actually now into you know automotive OEMs or into the Model 3s, um, Model X, Model S, and so on, that took another three and a half years. That took longer to ramp uh, to a reasonable level of production of supply uh, than it did to build. So if you're building a battery plant, I say it's 24 months, it's about five years to make it work properly at scale. Mm -hmm. So there's the building infrastructure, which is problem number one, that's challenge for today, but five years time, you're gonna have the ramping problem as well. Not all of these things are gonna come on, on stream at the same time, at the same quality. And that's if you're you know, Ford, VW, Tesla, whoever, GM, that's your problem. And that is, that's, that's yet to come, but um, yeah, that's the state of play. So am I hearing you say that we should be probably, as we look to the future and demand for EVs, say in the United States, even with better products coming on stream now, we see the Mach-E, the Ford F-150, of course, Tesla's got its and GM's bringing to, um, but there may be supply chain constraints. Bottom there will line. be, there yeah, will the be. bottom line, and there already is, right? So if you see Elon Musk's comments in February that, their cell constraint, they don't have enough lithium-ion batteries to, yeah. to make the Tesla Semi, so they push that into next year. There are already, if you look for the evidence, there are already uh, constraints. On the raw material side, lithium's price has more than doubled since January. So there's a lack of a supply, there's more demand than supply in lithium at the moment. You know, these things, if you look for the evidence, of course, it's easy for me to say, because that's my job, right? And that's what, the, that's what our business does. But the shortage of supply is already there. And if you haven't, if you're an OEM and you haven't got not just your cells locked up in contracts, like rock solid contracts, but also if you have a question where the raw materials are coming from, especially lithium and nickel, 
then there's going to be problems around the corner in about a couple of years. It seems to be if I'm the EVP in charge of purchasing or supply chains at a traditional automaker, this is all new territory for me. And it's new in terms of we don't know the future. We've never been here before. We don't know how quickly things will ramp up. So in your experience with your customers, the OEMs and the supply chain people, what's that meeting look like? Are they saying, hey, <laughs> give me an idea of the future. I need something to hold on to. What are they asking? They're asking all the same questions that probably your listeners would ask, you know, logical questions of firstly, where, you know, what battery plants are coming on stream, where and when at capacity. And, you know, if you're on the mining side, which companies are going to come on stream and in what volumes and can we lock that up? And it's all logical questions, but actually there seems to be a lack of, it's a bit different now, actually, probably a couple of years ago, there was, it's kind of OEMs were, especially North American ones, were like frozen in fear. Hmm. Or it was frozen in, we don't know what to do next, because mm. also we're not sure if this electric vehicle thing is going to be huge. Right? Isn't so that like, the bottom line? Is it happening or not? If you're in California, it's obvious. If you're in Michigan, you say, never. It's <laughs> not happening. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it's been one of those strange moments in time that I don't think any of us alive have been through where, you know, you're building heavy industry from scratch. You're building a brand new industry from scratch. This is FDR type stuff, right? This is like... Um, the US being built all over again. And, and that's that's the role of electric cars are a key component in that, whichever way you view it. And so it, it was very much, I think America was waiting for the people to lead mm -hmm. when actually America, America should have led. America's corporations and America's government should have led. That's happening now. We see GM's plans. Tesla were doing the leading for you guys, yes. right? But, you know, that is happening now. You see Ford, GM, all putting forward really big plans. Um, you see the, the conversations coming, or not conversations, but the actual reports and statements coming from the White House. Um, it's, it's kind of tying in now to what's happening in China and what's happening in, in the European Union. You know, the US is kind of back on track or, you know, on track, let's say, um, on a new track. I don't know how to phrase it, but uh, it's interesting seeing the last four months has been key. Do you sense that Ford and the GMs, Detroit 3 and the administration genuinely this time's for real. We get it. Electric vehicles are the future. We're committed. We're going full strength. You mentioned GM just this week increased its investment plans to $35 billion. That's no small potatoes. What's your sense talking to the people? You say this year, will we look back at 2021 as a pivotal year for the U.S.? 100%. If you've got GM saying, by the way, we're going to build another two battery plants on top of the two that we're building with LG, it's, it's kind of a no-brainer now. I think, you know, once... OEMs are committing to, to building infrastructure themselves and not relying on partners or pieces of paper and contracts, then it, it changes the game. And I think that was one of the reasons why the OEMs were kind of frozen in, in fear or lack of action for many years was they're used to an in, every exec in every OEM in America and in Europe. It's the same in the West, right? It's all over the West. It's they're used to a, a supply chain in the industry that's already been built mm. that exists to serve them, the automotive OEM, the biggest consumer and probably their only customer in the supply chain. We have to build the supply chain um, and invest to do that. When the cards are thrown up in the air, we'll see which where they land in about five years' time. And I think that's that's where we're at now. One of the things you brought to light in, in a recent video I saw, an interview, actually you, you gave a fantastic presentation to Stanford, was that China potentially has an edge because for the for the United States, the vision is to create sustainable, clean energy to support this massive pivot to electrics and batteries. Whereas in China, traditionally, at least, um, they rely on low cost, 
and environment takes a backseat to that. Should we anticipate that China will have the same playbook for batteries and for supply chain and just basically be the global dominator in batteries simply because no one can beat the China price? Yes, potentially. China certainly see this as a technology play first. You know, lithium-ion batteries at low cost and at scale means they can get a lot into their cities and, and, and reduce the smog. So I think it was a technology play first to actually solve the problems in their cities, which were becoming and still are, but were, were terrible, like an actual threat to the stability of the country. I think that was the level of the, the pollution issues they had. And I think electric vehicles were the, the quick and easy way to solve that problem. Um, in terms of going forward, I still think China sees this as a yeah, technology and low cost which is why they're going down the LFP batteries, which is the lower cost end of the lithium-ion battery chemistries, has been very popular there um, as a result. But I, I do think that actually, funny enough, the West will, will probably go down similar routes. So I don't think it's going to be that easy for China to undercut the cost dramatically of making these things. Mm -hmm. I think the cost of a lithium-ion battery fundamentally is how cheap can you make the lithium-ion battery? Your limiting factor is the raw materials. So it's going to be how cheaply can you extract lithium and nickel and cobalt at the right qualities because 8% of the cost of a battery are the raw materials. So actually, you're, you're, the limiting factor there is, as I said, it's not making the battery itself. So China's then going to even revert to cheap power to make these things, mm -hmm. the energy input to make the cathodes, anodes, and, and these battery cells. So the question is, does China keep going down building coal-fired power plants to power these things? Right. Certainly, that's under scrutiny in the West, and, and we'll see what happens there. But I think that will probably be a bit more of the, of the battleground and the scrutiny, and I think China will continue to do that. Okay, so let's pivot for a moment and talk about this business from the perspective of consumers. And if we look around the world this year, on track for 5 million plus or minus EV sales. Uh, China and Europe way out in front, I think both with about 40% of that. So 80% between China and Europe. US sort of catching up at around 10%, then got a handful of other countries. What will it take, in your view, say the Biden administration invites you back with the Senate and says, Simon, what's the number one job to be done here in the United States to assure that consumers embrace electric vehicles? That's a tough question. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, it's not. It's a simple question, really, or a simple answer to, the, to a good question, is build, build, build lithium-ion batteries because the technology speaks for itself, right? If, if you have enough lithium-ion-powered electric vehicles and options for consumers at the right price, they will buy lithium-ion battery-powered vehicles over gasoline ones for many, many reasons. Economics would be the number one, but enjoyment would probably be the number two for the mass, mass market. And, you know, I, I think... We tend to see these things from, from the existing generation. But I'm talking about 15 years, 20 years in the future. The people that are going to be buying these things are 10 or 15 years old now. They grow up with iPads. They probably had an iPad when they were a baby. And, and so the, the, just the logical thought process of analog to digital really helps that selling process. I, I don't think you have to sell a, an EV to anybody under 30 now. And certainly that's going to be the case in 10 years time. And so the key is you get as many options as possible for the consumer at the right price. They say under $35,000 is not, it's under $25,000 really is where you're looking at. And um, add cool technology in there, add the ability for your car to upgrade itself every six months, like the iPhone does. And then you have brave new world. And I think, I think, I think that will happen as well. Is there room for American company startups to do battery cell manufacturing here in the United States? You know, you mentioned that the U.S. has more plants. Tesla's there, now LG Chem, SK Innovation. These are Koreans. CATL has an office in America. 
what's the outlook for, say you're, you're, in, you're a battery startup, you're an American company with ambitions, is there still openings or is that ship sailed already? No, I think the market's going to be so big and so varied that there's always room for new startups with a, a specific reason to exist. You know, mm-hmm. you're solving a specific problem. And I think, I think that's the key. Now, what, what the Biden administration needs to do is to ensure it's got, A, the biggest amount of, um, uh, let's say, international battery producers there. But the second part is, you know, American-made businesses, American champions for this, uh, actual future competition for the market. You know, I think that's a reason why uh, President Biden stepped in on the SK Innovation LG Chem uh, legal battle was to preserve SK Innovation's rights to, to stay in the USA. As for American startups, I think there's, there's two angles to attack. One is innovation of the manufacturing process, mm-hmm. much like what Tesla did with the 4680, I think it is, the, the new the Coke can-sized battery that they showcased last year, which is yet to be in production, but soon. Manufacturing innovations is a big area that could cause a big impact on the industry. The other part is cathode innovations. So what flavor of your lithium-ion battery is it? For what use? Cathode Mm. and anode, because I think that's where you're going to get the energy density jumps. And then if you, you know, if you make the cathode, you own it, I would personally make batteries and own that whole uh, part of the supply chain and then find, you know, probably team up with the EV startups that are, uh, you know, coming through at the moment as well. So no, I think this industry is going to be huge and anyone getting in um, at any point in the supply chain now will be very valuable in about 10 years time. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Let's get started right now. <laughs> yeah, but solve the problem, right? This is the thing, especially on chemistry and manufacturing. That those things kind of manufacturing of batteries gets neglected quite a lot, I think, the whole process flow of it. So anyone that sold you know, add cool technology or ideas into that, put it into a company and you know and sell it to one of the big boys down the line. Beautiful, beautiful. Hey, Simon, I can't help but to notice the beautiful series of framed items you have on the wall behind you. Now, listeners, of course, can't see that, but I can, and it's gorgeous. What is that? Ah, so thank you for noticing, Michael. Um, <laughs> you're the first person to notice these. I've done loads of these webinars and no one's asked this question. So directly behind me are five pictures they're actually original two-pack Shakur lyrics, lyric sheets that, that I got. And, and the others are like, there's a picture in his business card as well. And actually very timely because today, two-pack would have been 50 as well. So ah. that's, that feels like it's planned and it absolutely wasn't. So that's really Destiny. Exactly. Destiny. Hail Tupac. What a phenomenal talent he was. But honestly, the two-pack, I started listening to him at the age of 10, 11 and you go through the teenage years and I tell you what, the, the words he says, how he says them, they, they resonate, right? They absolutely shaped my life and they, they give you energy and, and self-belief. And I think um, I still have that today, but primarily because of Tupac, I like to think. Is there a signature line from one of his songs that you, you remember most? There is, uh, there is actually. There is. It's a bit, it's a bit of a classic Tupac, arrogance, yeah. confidence. But goes, it's quite simple. And he says it in a much better way, so it's going to sound cheesy. <laughs> like, give it a go. Let's hear he it. Goes, <laughs> not, I'll do it in my voice. But he goes, if you believe you can achieve, just look at me. That's what Tupac said. Oh, and you know what? That's the one line that's always stayed in my mind from the age of 12. And, uh, and I think people can use that. Awesome. All right. In terms of believing and achieving, you know, say you're an investor or you have an investment client. And they're trying to place bets on tomorrow's superhero when it comes to battery manufacturing. Who would you place your bets on? Panasonic, LG Chem, CATL, or a player to be named later? All of them. Uh, (laughs) Um, Well, you need to gain dominance here. You need quality and quantity. Mm -hmm. 
you've got to be aggressive. You know, look at look how Tesla have got their position by being aggressive. And that comes from the top. That comes from Elon Musk and his closest team around him. LG Chem have gone from one or two battery plants to uh, seven in the pipeline, I believe. You know, they've been extremely aggressive and they've decided to go down this multi-continental route, which mm-hmm. other battery companies didn't yet want to do. Mm-hmm. So LG Chem have been aggressive and CATL obviously within China. So they're your three leaders. Now, I'd always watch what Panasonic do and what SK Innovation do because they are known for the quality of their battery cells. Um, a bit more conservative as, as the leadership of these companies are. But I think the tier ones are going to be stronger, but I think LG Chem, CATL, and Tesla. And once Tesla start making their own batteries, hmm. that will shake it up. And that's probably going to happen end of this year in Austin, we think. That's a great point, Simon. I didn't think of that. Tesla, mo- most people associate, of course, with the vehicles. But you mentioned earlier in our conversation today, Tesla's moving aggressively into the chemistry and design of new batteries. And they, they could be tomorrow's leader in batteries, too. Yeah, exactly. And people do have this thought that Tesla already made their own batteries, but mm-hmm. the Gigafactory was Panasonic, mm-hmm. uh, was their partner. In China, they've got LG Chem and CATL as their partner to make mm-hmm. the vehicles. But the pilot plant in, in Fremont is making these new cells. And that pilot plant, once it's successful, will be transplanted to Austin. And you know, once Tesla cracked this, they're going to scale so quickly. But the limiting factor will mm. always be the raw materials. So that's why they're looking at the chemical step well, to learn the process and maybe gain a bit more of an edge in negotiations. So it's an interesting strategy. I think it's the right one as well. All right. Tesla is leading the way for the United States. Imagine the U.S. without Tesla. We'd really be in the hurt locker trying to catch up. Let's focus for a moment on China, a little bit more on China. One of the my favorite things to look at from Benchmark Minerals is how many mega factories are around the world. And I think there's 200 plus now of which China accounts for. Take us through, what, what does that look like, mega factories globally? Yeah, so at the moment, we've got 14 in the USA, thanks to yesterday's news that General Motors is going to add another two. Uh, there are about there are seven, no, 22 in Europe. There are 156 in China. <laughs> That, that's your headline. End conversation here, right? Like that, that is your headline. And, you know, <laughs> even though the US is talking the right direction from the top, there's a lot of catching up to do. I'm not saying Chinese, um, the US needs 156 of these plants, mm. but it probably needs 50. So, so you can see, see where we're heading, right? So China has 10 times the number of mega battery plants as the US in the pipeline to 2030. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of gigawatt hours, uh, it's a good way to put it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The USA at the moment, by 2030, this is rough. We don't know the size of the GM plants yet, but we can kind of guesstimate. That's roughly going to be 500 gigawatt hours worth mm-hmm. by 2030. Um, China, 2,650 gigawatt hours worth by 2030. Mm-hmm. It's an order of magnitude of catching up that the US needs to do if it wants to play a part both in electric vehicles and energy storage and that industry, certainly linking it with solar and, and wind energy, is a major component of this as well. It would just be a delayed by about five years because the EV story is going to be so big. And the third geopolitical part of this is the climate. Who wants to be a leader in this you know, geopolitical discussion on climate? And at the moment, China wants to step up and be that leader. Does the US want to be back at the table for that conversation? We had the G7 here in, in the UK only last week. And you know, that was top of the agenda, along with electric vehicles and lithium-ion batteries were, were mentioned. I, actually, I gave a speech to a, a group at the G7 as well on this. You did? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. 
the main yeah. message being you need lithium ion batteries and you need, <laughs> you need localized supply chain to mm -hmm. secure the batteries. <laughs> Same message, another audience. Keep it simple. All right. This reminds me, I wanted to follow back up with your testimony to the Senate in the US and you have to be as honest as you can with me. What was your impression at the conclusion of your testimony? Did you feel like they got the message and that they are ready to act or they're still processing things? Some did. Mm -hmm. So certainly Senator Mikowski has been a leader on this and she understands how it all ties together, the importance of it. Uh, Joe Manchin as well, Senator Manchin from West Virginia also gets this. I mean, sings from a very similar hymn sheet, if you like, to, to Senator Mikowski in, in the need for mining, in the, in the value it brings to new industries downstream. Other senators hit and miss. Mm -hmm. You don't know if they're there for the politics just to show up and have their name on the sheet that says, mm -hmm. I asked a question, which a lot of them do. They come in and come out, ask a question and, and head off <laughs> their next meeting. So not listening to the discussion. No one warned me about that, by the way. I thought, mm -hmm. I thought my answers were boring and they'd ask a question and then they would head off. They're gone. For lunch or something. <laughs> it wasn't another meeting. But that's the conveyor. You didn't call them back. Hey, Mr. Senator, I didn't excuse you yet. I didn't yet have that confidence, but maybe maybe next time we'll see if I'm, I'm invited back. Maybe that's why I was invited back, because I didn't do that. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, some did, some didn't. In terms of action, I think, I think one senator alone feels it's almost impossible to get something through the machine that is Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, like, it blew me away in terms of layers of the bureaucracy of democracy, and whilst the system is there and it works for the benefit of the people, it, you can understand why it's so slow. Hopefully on these things, it's bipartisan. I think, I think the whole electric vehicle story is becoming that. But, you know, you still have to negotiate the delicate road that is politics, right? And especially in the USA, in, in today's kind of environment is, is whoever, whoever manages to push that through a, a kind of will be hailed as future heroes, I think. Yes, you know, you remind me, a good friend of mine points out that for years through the 80s and 90s, 2000s even, the United States was all about establishing energy independence. We would be in heaven once we're no longer dependent on foreign sources for oil, and we've come a long way in that regard. So to some extent, someone could throw a wrench in the works and say, wait a second, Simon, we've been working for three decades to get in energy independent. We got gas stations everywhere. Uh, gases prices are decent. Why do we want to mess around with this electric vehicle stuff? Yeah. Well, someone should have said in the 80s, well, you can get a lithium ion battery and you can uh. store some sunlight in it and, and you can plug it in at your house, you know, and, and use it in a car or use it in a, uh, you know, your laptops. The energy independent solution was always there, but the, the route chosen probably earlier in the 80s, 60s, 50s was that of, of you know, gasoline. And, mm -hmm. But really, it really is now back to the future, I think, for the US in that in that sense, you know, revisiting solar, especially for me, revisiting that and having that energy storage component to it means maybe finally, without the need for, for fracking at scale, because I know fracking is mm. the high end of the price curve, that maybe it's back to the future and uh, you, the US will have energy independence finally. And it seems to be one of those situations where the US may not have a choice in the matter because China is hell bent on leadership globally in this sector. Europe is racing to catch up. They've fully bought in. So we don't want to be behind the times. We've got to get with it. US has always been a leader in technologies, right? Since the Second World War. And right now, for the first time, I think the US is probably behind in, in this technological race. The upside is the US has all the components to, to do that. It has Now it has industrial ambition. Um, 
with the White House putting out these reports. I think that industrial ambition will, will snowball this year and you'll see more and more battery, mega factories, gigafactories being built. That for me is the metric of the scale of any country's ambition is how many of these battery plants they want to build because all these industries come off the back of these lithium-ion battery plants. If you go on our website, benchmarkminerals.com, you can see free on the tabs how many of these plants are in the pipeline. The key is the US just needs to go from 14 to 50 in the 2020s. If, if the rate is slower than what's happening in China, then definitely there's going to be, um, the US will fall further behind. We can't un- overstate the importance of Tesla. And as you said, way back in 2014, 2015, igniting this revolution here in the United States. If you were to imagine your meet up with an old high school friend who's not into batteries or cars, but heard about this company called Tesla and this guy called Elon Musk. And they asked you, what's that about? How would you describe Elon and Tesla in historical terms? How important? Good question. Um, I would say, well, being British, I would say it's a Victorian era scale industrialist. Over the course of hundreds of years, last 500 years, there are very few moments, and those moments rest on one or two people pushing it forward. You have the likes of Isambard Kingdom Brunel in the UK from Britain that really was the, he constructed the Victorian era, all the bridges and the buildings and everything and ships and stuff that we see today. Um, Elon Musk is at that level. He's that level of industrialist that can shift the axis of the world's direction, really. If, if Elon and J.B. Straubel, his number two, didn't come up with the Gigafactory idea, didn't decide to make the world's, the total world's amount of lithium-ion batteries under one roof, then we would not have had uh, this global battery arms race, this electric vehicle revolution. We wouldn't have had it because the batteries would not have been there. Companies would have gone that other routes. But the reason everyone's going down this route now around the world is because those two guys decided to build the Gigafactory. It's one project that inspires everyone else. It is that important. It sounds dramatic, but it is that important. So I would describe Elon as... And that probably Steve Jobs is a, at this kind of in his zone as well as these Victorian era industrialists that actually do change the world. Change the world. Beautiful. Hey, Simon, early on, you talked about quality being important in batteries. Quality is important everywhere. In my experience, the quality of your products at Benchmark Minerals are second to none. Uh, highly recommend that everyone check it out. What's the easiest way to learn more about your company and your products? Go to our website, benchmarkminerals.com, click on contact us or read some of the free articles that are on there. You can, you can fill in a form um, if you're interested and, and we'll get in touch and give you demos of everything we do. Fantastic. Simon Moores, CEO, Benchmark Minerals. Thank you so much for being our guest on the Winning in Asia podcast. Michael, thank you for having me. It's been a great conversation. I've enjoyed it. Terrific. See you then. That's one. Hey, let's start out with a confession. (laughs) Those are always fun. Batteries? I used to think they were boring, but I was wrong. They're like a wild kingdom full of potential and possibilities from chemistries to energy density to capacity to safety. All these components come together to form batteries that power our cars, and those batteries are quickly going to replace internal combustion engines as the heart of our propulsion system. So get to know them as we wake up to batteries and their realities. We discover that China has at least a five-year lead on everybody else, not just in making batteries, but in the whole supply chain, including access to raw materials that are located 
worldwide in places like Africa and South America. But 2021 is seeing a burst of new investments in battery plants in North America and Europe, led by Koreans LG Chem and SK Innovation, as well as startups like the Swedish company Northvolt. So the good news for North America and Europe is that batteries do not travel well. They're heavy, very heavy, and they lose their charge when they're on the water. Automakers, therefore, want to source batteries from close by, and that means wide open new opportunities for startups in the West. Hey, one more thing. Several listeners have messaged me to say they really like learning a little bit of new language on each podcast. So here's a simple one for this week. Most words in Chinese are made up by combining two characters, and the word for battery is no different. Battery in Chinese is 电池. 电 means electric. 池 means a reservoir or a pond. So a battery is what? It's an electric pond. Voila. Now, 电 is used in a lot of words related to electronics. 电脑, electric brain, is a word for computer. 电影, electric shadow, is a word for movie. Hey, fun stuff language, right? Just like putting pieces of a puzzle together. You can do it. Thank you for joining this week's Winning in Asia podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, do share it with a friend, a neighbor, yeah, maybe even a client. I am your host, Michael Dunn, and this is the Winning in Asia podcast. Thanks for listening to Winning in Asia. Please let us know what you think by leaving us a review and a rating. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend. For more information or to connect with Michael Dunn, visit zozogo.com.